The following audio is from Downtown Church, a kingdom-focused, gospel-centered, multi-ethnic, multi-class ministry in Memphis, Tennessee. For more information, please visit downtownchurch.com. Today's scripture is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12 through chapter 7, verse 5. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you, know, do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Now, concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement, for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of control. This is the word of God. Thank you, Phil. Do I have any volunteers to preach this message? Uh, Lord have mercy. Um, we are concluding our series on sex and sexuality. Um, we have been really pleased by what we uh, have heard in the seminar last Saturday and the Sunday school classes, and um, the teaching has been rich. The perspective, I think, has been very helpful, and that is my intention today uh, as we go to this passage. So, um, and, and I, I just want to say, I know this topic is um, painful to some of you. I know this is uh, maybe even triggering because of your experiences and your past, and, um, and it took a lot of boldness to be here today, um, so thank you, and I honor that. 
I also know that it may be difficult uh, for our single members and visitors, and I just want to say thank you. Uh, we have tried to be as mindful as we can, and this morning I am going to have um, uh, some very, I think, clear connections. Um, so thank you for being here and uh, walking patiently with us. Um, and so before we go to this passage, let's go to the Lord and ask for illumination and strength and for his work to be done. Lord God, I thank you that you have spoken into the mess of this world. I thank you that you have not remained quiet, but you have given instruction. And Father, I thank you too that you have put around the message, the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the one who lived, the one who died, the one who rose again. Well, Jesus, you became our mess that we might be loved by the Father. You became our brokenness so that we might know healing. You became our sin that we might be forgiven and dearly loved. And so, Father, this morning I pray that you, by your Spirit, would speak to us and apply this message. Do it in a way that only you can do. Change our minds that are already set. Change our hearts that need to do some work. Lord, give us the boldness to walk with you, beside you, into uh, the mess that is the brokenness of our lives, even sexually. Uh, but Father, lift our head to you to know that there's hope, because you are hope. Come now, we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. I recently heard of uh, two couples in a church, and the husband and the wife of those couples were having an affair. And the husband uh, su suspected it and did some research and uh, looked into his wife's emails and found the emails um, that proved his suspicion. And in those emails, he was horrified because what he saw was... Uh, his wife and this man talking about praying to the Lord and asking the Lord to give them a way to run away together. Jeremiah says, the heart is deceitful above all things. Who can understand it? It's desperately sick. The snake in the garden came to Eve and said, and put that, sowed that seed of doubt in her mind that she might doubt God and his clear commands. He, he said, did God really say? And as we come into this topic this morning, as we've been looking at it, I think that is what we need to understand, that that is the work of the resistance against us. God has spoken clearly, but everything in us wants to say, did you really say? Is that what you really meant? We can find someone typically highly decorated with degrees that will help us believe whatever we want to believe. You can find a book, you can find a quote, you can find a tweet to believe whatever you want to believe when it comes to sexuality. But are we listening to the word of the Lord? This is where we find the Corinthians it is an absolute chaos, not in the city of Corinth, but in the church in Corinth. 
And Paul is addressing the mess that is in the church, uh, this rampant um, sex that's going on, and he does so by looking at how they're justifying it. He begins to argue their arguments, and, and, and the two arguments are, are quite clear. They're saying, all things are lawful for me. I'm under grace. And they're saying, the food is for the stomach, the stomach for food. If you're hungry, have sex. That's how God made us. We have a desire, we fill it. And Paul is coming in, and he is debunking this. He is addressing this, and he starts with, uh, but not all things, are um, all things are lawful for me. I mean, number one, Paul could have said, uh, no, let's go back to the Ten Commandments, clearly. Let's go back to the law of God, clearly. But he doesn't do that. He comes in, he says, yeah, but not all things are profitable. Not all things are helpful. Brilliant. If he had just gone to the law, God said so, it would have been a, a totally different response. But he says, yeah, but not all things are helpful. In other words, you may be under grace, but when you break the law, it still has impact in your life. You can be under grace and drink acid, but you're still going to die. And that's what Paul is saying. And then um, he is... Um, he, he addresses the whole idea of food for the stomach and the stomach for food. In other words, if you're hungry, eat. If you want to have sex, have it. It's just sex. And he spends the rest of the, the passage, even on into chapter 7, helping us understand that sex is not just sex. That it is meant for God for a specific reason. And, and, and so the main idea this morning in our teaching is that sex, though a source of great blessing, can also be a source of great harm, and only God can be trusted to de define the path toward flourishing. He is the only voice that we need to hear in this matter. He will lead us unto truth. He will lead us through the minefield that is sex, and, and he will lead us unto what is good and a life of flourishing. As Art said last week, uh, the law is honey, honey dripping from the cone, more, much to be desired, even greater than gold. And friends, it's my, my passion, and I think it was Paul's passion that, that the Corinthian church and me for our church and, and, and our day that we say yes to God in his teaching on this. That, that we do great work in debunking the devil's lies and we move forward that we understand the devil is like a, 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 a crouching lion. If you've ever watched a lion hunt, he's patient. And he waits for his prey to be fooled. And then he pounces. We need to understand that, that what Paul is saying here, we say, oh, this is outdated. This is, this is right. We can't possibly, possibly obey this. Do you understand that's exactly what the Corinthians were saying? They were having more sex than you, <laughs> literally. There were temple prostitutes. I mean, there was it, nothing, nothing was, was out of bounds, as we'll see in a minute. And yet... Paul comes in with the first sexual revolution, and he declares three things. He says, church, God cares about your body. The Greeks are telling you different, but God cares about your body. So much so, number two, he inhabits your body. Your body is the temple of the living God. And then thirdly, 
totally radical. It, it, it was, you know, mainline, men have authority over a, a woman's body, but Paul says a wife has authority over her husband's body. This was revolutionary, and friends, we need to get into this revolution. So let's do it. The first thing we see in this passage is that sexual wholeness and flourishing are rooted in believing God's commands are meant for our good. He is for our bodies. If I had told you in March of 2014, don't drink the water in Flint, Michigan, you would think I'm crazy. What's wrong with the water in Flint, Michigan? Well, just wait till April. <laughs> and, you, and, and you'll find that those that have been drinking the water in Flint, Michigan are dying. If I had told you in January of 2019, everybody, we better mask up. We better cancel church. We better, we, you know, this, this uh, pandemic is coming. It's going to kill 7 million people across the world. You, you, you would say, you know, don't get on that plane. You would say, oh, Richard, you're just trying to ruin our spring break, break plans. But now you would believe me. Friends, we have to believe God. He's the one that created us. He's the one that knows us. He is the one that is for us. Listen to these verses. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. Now listen. And the Lord for the body. If he had just stopped there with the law, okay, all right, we've heard that a lot. Don't use your body in sexual immorality. No, the Lord is for your body. And you say, Richard, you're... you're you're, you know, exaggerating this. No, he goes on. And remember, God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. You see, the Greeks had this idea. Excuse me, I'm so dry this morning. The Greeks had this idea and this teaching that the body was basically a canister that held the brain and, and the soul, the spirit. The body was nothing. It was revolutionary that, that Christianity comes in and says, no, no. The flesh, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. The flesh means uh, as much as mind and body and soul. He doesn't say, he doesn't just say don't have sex. He says your, mod, your body is meant for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Jesus said this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. What, what Jesus is saying here when he commands us to not have sex, we oftentimes, you know, um, feel like, okay, don't have sex, therefore I am destined to a life of loneliness. No, no. He says, number one, you know, um, if you love me, you obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, the paraclete, to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth. God knows that he, we can't just live alone. And so he sends his spirit to live inside of us, to be the, the paraclete or the one who hears the cry, the one who knows your loneliness, the one who knows your isolation, the one who is with you and can comfort you in the midst of um, of, of your, your loneliness and not having sex and not seeking intimacy in that way. He is for you. And the proof, I will raise your body up just as I was raised. 
the one who made us will raise us up. This is what Paul is saying. The body's not meant for sexuality. Why? Because the Lord is for the body, and what he says is good for the body. A few thousand years later, we would understand this a little better. Ben Miller, um, national, who works for the National Center of Sexual Exploitation, says this about pornography. With each viewing of pornography, a person's brain releases a burst of dopamine that strengthens the connection between cells. The more reward released from viewing porn, the stronger the path of communication to repeat that behavior in search of more reward. Giving ourselves to sexual fantasy through pornography as well as serial sex or sex outside of marriage, sex with you know, several partners, is, is damaging to us. It is addicting, but the damage that is primarily done is all an addict can do is think about himself and filling his need. And friends, you were created. You know what freedom is? You know how Christ sets you free? What did he set you free from? He set you free to love God and neighbor. The, the, prison of, of, uh, the, the prison of life is being addicted to yourself and only being consumed with you. And that's all that serial sex is. It's about your need being fulfilled. It's the height of selfishness. Sex is God's good gift that allows us to bring good to another and heighten intimacy in marriage. It's a gift we give, not a prize we take. I read an, uh, an article recently about a woman who uh, hooked up with someone, a younger man on Tinder. And she detailed the whole account. She said, I was so impressed with this younger man. He was asking permission at every step along the way. Can I remove your blouse? I won't, I'll just stop right there. You can follow it. Every step, may I do this? May I do that? Getting permission. And she said, I felt so respected. I felt so honored. But then afterwards, when he left and I reached out again, he ghosted me. And I felt cheap. What she realized is that young man was not thinking about her. He was covering his own basis. Welcome to sex in 2023. And that is exactly what Paul is talking about. You go down that road, it is not going to feed the desire for intimacy and connection. It is going to leave you more lonely, more isolated, more miserable. And then secondly, sexual wholeness and flourishing are rooted in believing we are united, even married, to Christ Jesus. There is nowhere you can go where you're not taking Jesus. <laughs> that, on one hand, I don't know if your mind goes there, but my mind kind of does when I read this passage, is kind of the negative. But that's a pretty good positive. What, what Paul is talking about here is our union with Christ, and we're going to get into that in just a second. But what he is saying with you know, when he talks about being joined to a prostitute, hey, you're really joined to the Lord and, and your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. What he's saying is you can't go to bed with somebody without taking your real lover with you, Jesus. Listen to verses 15 through 20. Paul writes, do you not know? 
that your bodies are members of Christ. That what he's referring to there, the Greek word there means a limb. That's how connected to Jesus. You can't go anywhere. You can't do anything if you're a believer because your bodies are members of Christ. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Sex is not just sex. Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Friends, your body is not yours to do with it what you want. Why? Because you were bought with the price of And we know that price is the precious life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So glorify God in your bodies. Turn away from sin. Turn to God and seek his face. And and here's what he's saying. He, He... I mean, Paul gets about as descriptive as you can get, sleeping with a prostitute, which was very normal, very mainstream in the church. And he says, look, you can't do that and not come out um, unscathed and come out unscathed. But, But here's the reality. You can have sex with a prostitute, and it will feel glorious, but it will not be glorious. Do you hear me? Just because it feels good doesn't make it good. Just because our desire is being satisfied, we can be completely opposing God and his design for our bodies and for another person. Sexual morality destroys relational connection with God. That's what he's saying. You're joined to God. Don't join yourself with a prostitute. Tell the spouse who's been cheating on that sex is just sex. What is the damage of an affair? It is, it, it is at the core of who we are. It, 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 it reaches down to our greatest need, and which is also our greatest fear. We are desperately needy to have one who, to have one who will love and not forsake us. And the thing that can destroy us most and do the most damage is to earn someone's trust and then break it to that deep degree. And this is not just with another person, but this is also with God. We see this throughout the Old Testament. I just, I'm reading through the, the um, I'm using uh, Trilla Nubel's devotional, 52 Weeks in the Word, reading the Bible in a year, and I just finished Leviticus, I'm on to Numbers. And I'm taken back by Leviticus, all the, you know, the reason we kind of get tired of it is because regulation after regulation, offering after offering, clean, clean this, clean that, do this, do that, don't do that, do this. You got to do it this way, not that way. The whole book. But what is it talking about? It's saying, people of God, do you want intimacy with God? This is how you approach God. If I were to write a book on what I must do to have intimacy with my wife, 
it would be longer than the book of Leviticus. If I detailed every single thing that I needed to do and not do in order for her to feel connected to me and me to feel connected to her, the book would be massive. That's exactly what Leviticus is saying. We are built for intimacy, so this is how in the Old Testament, this is what you got to do. You got to center your whole life around pursuing the presence of God. Oh, but thank you for Jesus. <laughs> he fulfilled the law. And now all I must do is fall on him in faith, and I'm presented to God as holy and dearly loved, and he will never leave nor forsake me. Oh, what a hope we have, friends. All throughout the Bible, God is calling us, wooing us to himself. Deuteronomy 13, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice, and you shall serve him and cleave to him. What does that sound like? Genesis 2, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. United means cleave. A man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. God wants us to cleave to him. The sex we have in marriage is simply a mirror and a taste of the intimacy that God wants and we can have with him. That's why we don't have to live for sex. That's why we can live without sex. It's intimacy. Sex serves intimacy. Intimacy does not serve sex. You can have intimacy without sex, single men and women. That's what the, what the scripture said. To say otherwise is to say Jesus did not have intimacy with the Father. So he wasn't married. You are wed to Christ. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like this, there's that word united to him, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection. You can't go anywhere without taking Jesus, and Jesus can't go anywhere without taking you. He rose out of the ground, you're going to rise out of the ground. Hallelujah. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. Why? Because you're united to Jesus. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. We are united to Christ and we are to cleave to Christ and not to sin. And friends, that rewires our brain too. I love this. Not, a, whoop, not only does pornography and serial sex make us addicted to ourselves and our own needs, but when we give of ourselves, when we move towards someone, when we die to self and in a relationship and have healthy interaction and, and in marriage, healthy sex, sexuality and sex, it rewires our brain toward love. How Love Rewires the Brain is an article by David Howard. Listen to what he said. He's a neuros, neuroscientist. In, a, in 2011, in a 2011 study, Fisher and her colleagues looked at brain scans of couples who had been married for an average of 21 years and found similar activation in dopamine-rich brain regions associated with intense romantic love. This morning, sitting early, thinking about this, and I thought, how many times did I look at my wife yesterday and have a dopamine rush? 
That's a good assignment. I was astounded. We had one moment. She probably didn't remember it. I remember it. Sitting on the couch, I looked at her. I said, honey, you're beautiful. Those weren't just words coming out of my mouth. That was my whole body saying, she is beautiful. We've been married 40 years. 40 years. And yet, she's more beautiful. Why? Because we've been married 40 years. Because we've given ourselves to each other. And we have hurt each other. We have, we have damaged each other. But we've repented and we've drawn back together. And that's what we're made for because that's the love of God. He wants covenant relationship with us, not some one-night stand. And single people, this is experienced not just sexually. Think about it. I think, I think about it. I've spent a lot of time in coffee shops. Um, many times throughout my ministry, I've never had an office. Uh, I do now, but I've spent a lot of hours upon hours in coffee shops, and I've seen this happen so many times. I see somebody walk in, and they sit at a table, and they're just kind of bored. You know, they're kind of looking at their phone, and then somebody walks through the door, a friend. And like their whole demeanor, it's like, it's transformed. Oh, hey, Susie, how you doing? It's so good to see you. They hug. Dopamine released. Positive cell connection happening. That's why we need community. And when we have community, when we have healthy community, when we are unwilling to let somebody be alone and lonely, when we invite single people into our families, when, um, when you, know, uh, you as single people are, are um, developing relationships with each other, this is what's happening and you cannot live without it. What Art said last week was if he didn't have community, there's no way he would be celibate as a gay man. And friends, it's just that serious. But we are united to Christ. Look at him. He's looking at you with delight. Oh, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. If you're in here today, you say, well, I'm not righteous. Yes, you are if you're in Christ. Because that's all the Father sees. And his eyes are looking at you. They are bleeding with compassion. They are bleeding. They are searing into your soul with love and delight. I've known you from all creation, and I'm going to know you till the end, because then there is no end. And I love you like you want to be loved. I know how you need to be loved, and that's how much I love you. And that's how I love you. And then thirdly and finally, sexual wholeness and flourishing are rooted in believing that marriage, um, married sex is more about what you give and not what you get. Th this is radical. It's like, okay, you would think that Paul would just like regulate all the single people. But he doesn't do that. He starts picking on the married people. You're like, wait a minute, that's why I got married, so I didn't have to think about any regulations. Paul says, no, uh uh. Many, I, 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 so many single guys, oh, I can't wait till I get married. Then, like, all my problems will be solved, you know, sexually. Married men, is that true? Don't answer that question. No, because we're broken. Of course it's not true. And, and, and the reason it's not true is because God has a purpose for sex in marriage, and it's, it's you thinking more about your spouse than about you. To understand this, we've got to do a little work. 
Um, because in, in chapter 7, verse 1, now concerning the matters about which he wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What in the world is that talking about? Well, let's put some context. Let's go back to chapter 5 and verse 1. It's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. The church is worse than the world. They sound a little familiar. For a man has his father's wife. This dude is sleeping with his mother or his stepmother. And they are celebrating it. So, that's the context of Corinth. And so Paul comes in and he's like, I got to bring some order. It's good for a man to not have sex with a woman. Looking at what's going on here, we've got prostitution, we've got a man sleeping with his mom or stepmom. We, you, you people, you, let's stop this thing right here, right now. It is not good for a man to have sex with another woman. We got to just stop it right there. I mean, that is what's going on. If, if he just meant it's not good, that sex is not good, it would contradict the rest of the Bible. And we have one of the basic hermeneutical rules of interpretation is you interpret Scripture by Scripture. And we could go from Genesis 1 all the way to Revelation and prove that sex is good inside marriage. So that's what he's saying. Um, but... It, um, So, yeah, here's what he's saying. For single people, it is not good. It is good, let's say it this way, it is good for you not to have sex. It is not good for you not to experience intimacy. God is not saying be lonely for the rest of your life, you're doomed. It's saying you got to find intimacy in community in the church and in the body, and I've provided for it. And he's telling married people, it is good for you to not have self-centered sex. The, the, the purpose of sex is not about you, but about you being about your spouse. And this was radical. He, said, he tells a husband that his wife has authority over him, and the husband has authority over her. So who wins? Oh, that's a horrible question. But that's the question where we go. Who wins? Well, who wins... In Ephesians, wives, submit to your husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Both of you die. How do we know? How do we know, you know what to do with that? Ephesians 5.21, the preface to uh, the teaching on marriage. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. There is mutual submission. This is what it ought to look like. Honey, oh man, I love you, you know. Can we, can we talk about <laughs> where this night might be going? Oh, okay, you've had a long day. Or, man, I've had a long day, and I need to, I want to I bring pleasure to my husband. Whatever that is. It's mutual submission. It is not abuse. I've seen this passage taken out of context so many times. Husband saying, you have to do this for me. And that is not what Paul is saying. He is saying there is a context in which the sexual desire can be satisfied, but not to the abuse of the other partner. Sex is about intimacy, oneness, and selflessness. And you don't have to have sex to experience these. 
deep and abiding, healthy, other-centered friendships are essential, not just outside of marriage, but inside of marriage. How are you at being your spouse's friend? I'm not asking about your sex life. I'm asking how are you at being your spouse's friend? How are you at intimacy? Well, we just didn't really do that in our family. Well, then you better break that pattern. You better find help. Why? Not just for you, but for your spouse. You've got to do the work, and there's work available. That's what Paul is saying. There are people that will walk with you. We're having two groups uh, next Saturday, the women will meet, I think at 9 o'clock, it's in your bulletin, then the men will meet the next afternoon at the church office, I think at 4 o'clock. That is a time built for you to come and talk vulnerably to other women for women, men for men. Come and do it. It may take everything in. You may have never told anybody what you, you know you need to tell somebody. You may be so sick of walking alone, here's your opportunity. To come in broken, to come in afraid, and to find help. And friends, we have the power to do it. Why? Because we are united to the one that we were made by and for. Do you see how desperately you need intimacy with Christ? Do you understand how that is where the life is? And you say again, well, that's just not how we men are in our family. Well, you better change your family trajectory because you've been made for intimacy with Christ. If you have never sat alone with Christ and been broken and been joyful, if you've never experienced his love and his oneness, then why are you calling yourself a Christian? That is what it's all about. That's the dinner. It's like going to the finest restaurant in Memphis and saying, eh, I don't want the food. That's the whole purpose. <laughs> Eat the food. Eat Christ Jesus. Take him in. Consume him. He's the only one in all of creation that we are told there's no way to love him too much. There's no way to give yourself too much to him. Oh, dear friends, give yourself to Jesus. And give yourselves to one another and do whatever work you need to do that's holding you back. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for the hope of this passage. Thank you for the hard teaching of this passage. There's not a person in here that doesn't need this teaching, and none of us have got it together. So, Father, hear our repentance. Hear our sweet repentance, not our groveling, our repentance in the midst of your love. There's nothing we can do to push you away. So I pray right now that you might even hear. Dear friend, you might have never spoken your sin to God. Speak it to him right now in the quietness of your own heart. Speak your sin and then hear of his love for you. If you confess your sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Come to him this morning, dear friends. Come to him. Amen.
receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Go in peace, friends.